Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation, real conversations with actionable insights into what consumers want and why. My name is Andrew McDougall, and I'm Director of Beauty and Personal Care Research based in London. And I'm excited today to bring you our latest installment chatting with more of our lovely experts. Now, today we're going to be taking a real look and a real deep dive into Generation Z or Gen Z, a demographic that we're continually getting asked about a lot by clients uh, and by prospects. I'm really looking at why Gen Z marketing requires much more than simply selling a product. And so for today, uh, rather than just relying on my own uh, thoughts and insights, I'm delighted to be joined uh, by two of our experts in this area. Firstly, we have uh, Johnny Forsyth, who's director of Mintel Food and Drink, uh, and he's also been involved in many projects looking at Gen Z in great depth on our platform and also with our clients as well. So welcome, Johnny. Happy to have you here. Hi. Uh, and also Georgia Stafford joins as well. She's our beauty personal care and OTC research analyst, who's also been doing a lot of projects as well, focusing on Gen Z and sort of how our, looking at how our understanding of this generation should go further. So welcome, Georgia. Excited to have you here as well. Hi. So without further ado, uh, sort of get straight into sort of Gen Z. Um, this is a generation, uh, for those not aware, um, born between 1996 and 2010. Um, it's very much a generation that is traditionally described as being value conscious and drawn to brands that keep it real. And they're very creative. Uh, they're bold. Uh, the creators of many sort of trends on TikToks, Instagram Reels, other platforms, many things that I myself um, feel very sort of uh, separate from. Uh, Going into the elephant in the room straight away here, um, I will come out now and say I am a millennial, um, so I, you know, may not be uh, may not be speaking from the generation, rather about the generation. Um, I don't know if anyone else has any uh, particular um, sort of things they want to say on that. I don't, Johnny, if, are you uh, are you millennial as well? I'm not millennial. I wish I was millennial. I would, I would, you know, give my eye teeth to be millennial. I'm, I'm actually a, a Gen, Gen Z, uh, sorry, Gen Xer, um, and I've got a, a son who's a, who, who's Gen Z, and he, he reminds me all the time how old I am. Oh wow! And then Georgia, you are. I'm not going to guess on this one, so I'm going to let you sort of come out with it yourself. From your definition, I am officially a Gen Z, but I think I'm more of a cusper in terms of a culture. Nice. No, so we do have a well-rounded sort of group, I think, to look at things today. As I say, I know both of you have done a lot of different uh, strategic projects on this, looking at Gen Z, both internally and also with external projects uh, at Mintel. Uh, so I guess my first question to really open it up um, when we talk about Gen Z is, is, what is unique? Is there anything unique to say about Gen Z? Is there anything particular? Uh, is the, the way they consider themselves or anything like that? So I guess my answer to this would be that what, what, I think I think it's a great question because it really gets to the heart of what is um, is different about Gen Z versus the fact they're just another younger generation um, because a lot a lot of the time their their behaviours and their attitudes are shaped by by the fact that they are young um, but there definitely are some some uh, media and societal factors which have, have also shaped them and, and made them quite different to, to say previous younger generations we've seen and I think one of the things I've seen um, that that have really surprised me is the degree to which they struggle with their, their mental health and their anxiety um, and you know I've been trying to find out you know why that is and there's a, a US uh, researcher who's looked at 
various uh, young generations for, for decades. And, you know, she talks about the fact that they're the first smartphone generation and that that's had such an impact on their lives in terms of um, having social media surrounded by, uh, surrounded all the time, in terms of not maybe um, being as, as active in, in seeing friends physically. And she, she really talked about how that, that made them more vulnerable, say, than the millennials were. Um, so I don't, know, I don't know what Georgia thinks about that. That, that certainly was a striking aspect um, from, from my research. Yeah, I think on from that, it's the first generation where they're digital natives. They've always known uh, a different life online where you're very immersed in the digital and maybe less so in the real life as it were. So like you say, seeing friends face to face, being as comfortable doing that as you are chatting with them online. It's interesting as well because Johnny, you mentioned about the the mental health side of things, and when you think about sort of anxieties and depression and coming out of COVID for all generations, because we've had this period, a lot of us anyway in the Western world, particularly, we had all these lockdowns periods of where we weren't socially bonding or mixing with other people. It's weird to have this digital native generation as well, then that is so immersed in their phones, as you say, Georgia, because then it's the case of, well, actually, is this the first generation that's really having to deal with, you know, obviously not mental health issues, of course, but in terms of social anxieties and social depressions that this can cause, their actual interaction with the world is very different to how we would perceive, particularly from even from an advertising or marketing point of view, just happiness and how we bring happiness to this generation. It's almost a connected generation that is disconnected. Yeah, maybe I'll, I'll let George answer that one first. I think in terms of disconnected, it's connected to so much. You have access to so much that then some of that anxiety might be difficulty knowing where you are in all of that. You have access to people in the US, people in Asia, people in Africa, if you're, say, in the UK, you think, well, who am I? Where do I fit in? Whereas before, without social media, everything was a bit more closed. Say it was just your school, your town, your city. That was where you had to place yourself. And now it's on a much wider stage that you're constantly accessing on TikTok, on Instagram, wherever it is. Yes, that's really interesting as well. There, there is this um, this strange kind of paradox that they are the most connected generation ever. But something from our data that that comes out is that they're quite a lonely generation, um, and may, maybe it's because they're not kind of physically having these these interactions with with, with people. I I don't know, but it, it's it's yeah, it strikes me as very strange that they can be so connected on the one hand yet so lonely on the other. Yeah, it's it's interesting what you say because it does seem like it can be a bit overwhelming to have all these, all this information, all this data available. It's almost a case of just because we're connected, it doesn't mean we're necessarily connected to meaningful values or meaningful things. It could be that we're also absorbing, and or this generation is also more exposed to sort of junk values and things like that. So that it's it's a kind of it's it's a difficult one for this generation, um, I think. Um, what would you say then are sort of the core characteristics of Generation Z? Would you say it's possible to talk about that in terms of, we talk about the first sort of digital natives? Um, you know, it, it, is this a generation where diversity and sort of social issues, that is more the norm to talk about, it, a more open generation? Um, in terms of being a consumer, are they more shrewd? How, how would you sort of characterize them? Yeah, so for me, I would say that there's a couple of words I would use to describe them. Uh, one, one, on one hand, diverse. On the other hand, 
uh, I would say that they're very, um, very kind of driven, very, very pragmatic. And I think in terms of diversity, obviously there's the, um, the, the side of things where they want everyone to be treated fairly. But I think it shows itself um, quite interestingly in, in, in certain, say, food and drink categories, which I, I look at. So, for example, with alcohol, they're less likely to drink alcohol. And I think a lot of that is around they, they don't um, subject their, their peers to the same kind of peer pressure, say, that, that I experienced when I was younger, where, you know, if you didn't drink alcohol, it was a really big deal and you were given quite a hard time for it. And, and, and I don't get that that sense with them. So I find that really interesting. And But but I also think they're, they're very, very driven. And, you know, maybe that, that comes from the fact that they've um, experienced, uh, you know, a couple of uh, recessions in their, their lifetime and uh, the world feels like a lot more of a competitive place. Georgia, would you say that sort of reflects what you've seen in your research into, and your experience of, the, of Gen Zs? If you were to characterize it, would you say similar to Johnny in terms of those, those sort of key characteristics or have you seen sort of the, the same or other ones as well? I think definitely diversity and expecting brands to reflect their values in terms of making products for everyone. I think Fenty sort of set the standard for that when they came out with such a diverse array of foundation shades and now that's the expectation so a brand who does that is no longer sort of differentiating themselves they're doing the bare minimum and if a brand does not do that they're going to get called out on social media so i think definitely the the commitment to diversity even if it might not be affecting them directly they're looking out for their peers yeah, it's interesting what you say. I mean, I, I love everything that Fenty's doing. I mean, I think the the marketing geniuses behind that brand are, are really good at sort of connecting with their audience and obviously Gen Z being a big part of that. Um, and I would definitely say that you have, when you do have a brand like that, um, then it definitely sort of breeds loyalty within the consumer. But what would you say then that what makes Gen Z loyal to a brand? I mean, are they, are they specifically loyal to these brands or, or are they the type of consumer that will flick around a lot? I think there's a bit of a mix. There's sort of brands that reflect their values. Something a brand like Elf, say, where it's at an affordable price point, quite diverse, and reflects sort of Gen Z's values in that way. But then also there's the power of TikTok and its ability to make products go viral like that. And that is where I think there's a bit more disloyalty and buying just based on seeing multiple people use it. And then obviously the products sell out increasing demand even more so i think there's a lot of hype as well that can uh, drive purchase yeah and i would say that younger people are always a bit more fickle when it comes to, to brands that that's something you just always see so i don't think they're any more so than, than previous younger generations um, but a, a brand i find really interesting in food and drink and i, and, and I talk about this personally not not, not necessarily through, through work because what my son's really into it is is prime the um the isotonic drink and i don't know whether you, you're aware of that but it's it's just so popular amongst um, amongst the, the teenagers. So there's a whole black market for it at school. Um, they're shot selling it for hundred pounds, uh, and, and, and that's all led by by influencer marketing. And, uh, and a, you know, to pick up on George's point about exclusivity and hype, so it's very very hard to to find it in shops. It's often sold out, and I often kind of go into Sainsbury's and try and try and get it for my son and it's, it's not there and and that kind of feeds this um, this interest and loyalty to it and, and all it is is a very simple isotonic drink but you know my son's not interested in in say Vita Coco or, or some other kind of competitor it has to be Prime. Yes yeah, an interesting result because I'm right in thinking it was Prime when they launched in the UK they specifically sort of 
made it so that it was it was less available just purely to create that hype. Is that right? I've, I've sort of read somewhere that their marketing tactics on the particularly on the UK launch was very clever in creating that sort of that real buzz and that demand amongst younger consumers. I think so, and also they um, they launched a flavour that was specific to the UK as well. So um, they're quite globally savvy as well in the way they use exclusivity. Yeah, no, I think it's a fascinating example. I will say at the time of recording, um, I have just seen that the Sidemen and KSI, who's obviously one of the founders of Prime, uh, has been involved in a um, a YouTube uh, furore, shall we say, uh, right? where he's yeah, he's potentially he's potentially going to be cancelled. He'd off he's off social media just for a couple of weeks, so really? and that's ha- that's half the press just for you now, Johnny. But I still Thank think you. I don't I don't think that will affect Prime at all. But as I say, I just think it's a, it's a very well placed. Um, product. It's a very, um, very interesting sort of way that they've marketed that product. Um, one thing I will say though is that, and I think Prime is a good example, and also the, the Elf example that you mentioned as well, Georgia. But to what extent? Because we always say whenever another generation comes along, because we had it with millennials, and it's always this is an exciting, innovative generation, and we can market to them differently. But to what extent would you say is Gen Z the product of its life stage versus the generational differences per se? Because as I say, they you know they can be willing to try more brands. They could be willing to be more emotionally triggered. They can be more, more prone to hype. So is there an extent of the right now, because of the age of Gen Z, that's maybe the product of, of, what, of, of how we market them rather than the actual generational difference to a millennial or, or older generations? Yeah, to me, life stage is a more important factor than generational differences. And there's, um, they've recently uncovered in, in neuropsychology um, the teenage brain and, and the brain doesn't sort of fully develop until we're, we're age 26 and older. And then the prefrontal cortex starts to dominate. And up until that point, we're very different in how we make decisions. We tend to be more impulsive and more emotional and more short term. So I think a lot of the behaviors that are manifesting in Gen Z right now will change once they get into their their late 20s and 30s. Yeah, I think especially the hype driven is part of being young. It's no different really from peer pressure at school. It's just now it's online. I can think of so many examples pre-social media of things I wanted because I saw everyone around me had them. I remember Neurosport drinks were probably my day's prime. They were just a drink that the local corner shop sold, but everyone at school drank them. So I thought, oh, I should drink that. I think it's no different. It's just now it's online more as opposed to in schools. That's a really fascinating example. That's a really fascinating thought as well because I'm now just thinking, I remember when I was younger, Red Bull was first launched. And it was always this case of Red Bull was a drink, but actually, obviously, you see in the sports industry and all these other avenues they've gone down, Red Bull is very much a marketing company that has all these other actual product add-ons to it, which is, again, fascinating because, again, that's that's not a generational difference thing because, obviously, Red Bull would have come out for millennials or, or Gen X. I mean, it wouldn't have been for this, but it's a very similar sort of hype marketing and that kind of needing to, needing to or that, that desire to, to want more, um, which is really interesting. Yeah, to your point, they love Apple, the brand. And uh, even though they haven't got very much money, they love Apple. And, and, and Apple's you know, so good at the kind of the emotional lifestyle uh, side of, it, of marketing. So, it's, so I think it's very true what you say. It's interesting you bring up Apple as well, because when, again, when I was younger, and Apple, I remember the Apple Macintoshes and that. Like, I remember like when I was younger, when I was a student, I really wanted to remember those Apple computers that were like, they were like TVs. They were huge. They were, they were like, they, they were nothing like a flat screen, Georgia. Um, it had like a huge sort of back to it. And that the, 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 the computer was in that. It was almost like a TV 
that you would have in your bedroom and the computer was in the back of it and it was amazing. And I was just sort of thinking there's so many things that mentioning that now and I feel old now having to try and explain it to you, Georgia, and I'm just thinking of so many other things like VHS tapes and other things from my childhood, blockbuster video, for example, that people just won't have a clue what I'm talking about from a certain generation. So is there also a factor when we're thinking about this generation, because nostalgia is such a, a big trend uh, in beauty and, and in food as well. But is it important as well to think about what does Gen Z not know about? Like, what do they not know about? So I think for me, um, it, it, I've looked at sort of their, their attitude, say, to sustainability and, and health. And both of those areas are really, really complex. So I think that from, from what I've seen, there's a lot that they don't know about the best way to to be sustainable to kind of help the planet and and and, and the ways that they can kind of really have healthy diets and I, I, that's not to to say that's a bad thing I think those are such complex areas that it it often takes you decades for consumers to kind of really start to work them out. Yeah, I was going to say a similar thing about health. I think that the purchase journey and there might not be too much research that goes into that yet. So I think that is something that maybe you start doing when you get older and you think more about the the decision to purchase before you go ahead and do it and you do your own research as opposed to relying on other people to do it for you. So there's not always that knowledge there, especially in health, looking at OTC um, behind purchases. George, did you also, is it also a fact that you get a lot of fake news and I mean, I've read about things like people putting garlic up their nose, for example, because it was a TikTok trend that that reduced your sinuses. And you know, is that kind of uh, diluting the, some of the the, the, the true messages of, of how to be healthy, for example? Yeah, I think especially with TikTok, because you're consuming information so quickly, it's difficult to then stop and pause and think, oh, is that true? Or have I just seen 10 people say it? The one of the top examples that comes to mind is Olaplex. Olaplex last year, there was a big uproar that products were going to cause infertility because of an ingredient in it. It was founded on zero science, but it was enough to contribute to a decline in sales for Olaplex. It doesn't need to be true. It doesn't need to be rooted in anything true for it to spread and for Gen Z to believe it's true sometimes. I was going to say, does that does that lead to um, sort of potential weaknesses then of the generation? If it's a generation that are addicted to technology and we have this addictive technology that, as you say, will constantly keep us scrolling and keep us watching and, as you say, doesn't necessarily always give us correct... It's a great source of information, but doesn't always necessarily give us the correct information. Um, would you say that's one of the big weaknesses then of Gen Z? Um, or would you say that there's other weaknesses as well that that this this generation could fall foul of because of, again, its circumstance? I think sustainability is one where Gen Z might fall short. It might be a component of youth and just sort of wanting more and more. But the shopping from places like Shein, um, Boohoo, that have sort of awful track records for sustainability, but putting that to one side so that you can always have sort of the newest garment or the newest item of clothing that might be a downfall and that individualism that will sort of takes precedent over sustainability or more altruistic thinking. don't think that's really unique to Gen Z, but it might just be more pronounced. Would you say then that the Gen Z, would you say there's examples of Gen Z perhaps been misunderstood then 
Um, just because I think sometimes we think of obviously the, the, the younger generation, this young activist generation sort of demanding and expecting sustainability in that regard. Do you think that actually Gen Z is also a bit misunderstood? Sometimes they will just be labeled as one thing when actually it's, as you, as you say, it's a lot more complicated than that. I think that's so misunderstood because you know when I, when I first started looking at Gen Z, I was expecting them to be really eco-conscious in their behaviours, and, and they aren't. And I feel like you always get this with younger generations where people almost project certain things onto them that that aren't true. And I think uh, because you have Greta Thunberg, for example, who's a, who's a Gen Z, I think a lot of people will assume that you know the rest of the generation are kind of these these Greta Thunberg avatars. Um, but they're not at all, and you, you really see that when you, you kind of dig into their behaviours, and that that's not a slight on them. I think that's the same for every younger generation. They don't tend to be very sustainable, and they don't sort of have an ability so much to, to think long term. Yeah, I think it's quite easy maybe to blame Gen Z for some of the the failings of society right now. But I think it was the same for millennials. I remember when I was a teenager, everyone said millennials can't buy houses because they're buying avocado toast and spending on takeout coffee. It's just an easy an easy thing to, to blame the younger generation on. Yeah, people are always really negative about the younger generation. It's probably just envy because they're, they're you know, they're not young bitterness because you're not young anymore. Well, so there's always that classic trope as well, isn't it? That every generation, every next generation, always thinks they're 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 sort of the bee's knees. And they're the you know the next most innovative generation, most forward thinking. But again, every generation is thinking that. And then on top of that, as I say, from the from the other side of the coin is then there's probably that envy from all the older consumers thinking, well, that generation has it easy, or they they have things that I never had. Um, so it can be difficult, I think, to, to sort of navigate in that world. Would you say that Gen Z is is more pessimistic than previous generations then um, in the way that they approach the world and also from that, talking about consumer goods, then how they approach brands. Are, are they more pessimistic um, or, or, or would you say that it's just a, just a standard thing we always expect from younger consumers anyway? I actually think they are more pessimistic and I think the reason is because they've been surrounded by the 24-7 relentless news cycle and of course news is always negative because negative news sells and you know i was thinking about when i was younger and maybe i'd watch the news once a day at six o'clock on the tv and that'll be it so uh, yeah, i was kind of in my own world and i what always strikes me when i speak to gen z is how clued up they are and they really sort of understand what's going on and they're you know they've got their finger on the pulse in terms of the news and to me, that that's going to make you quite negative because the the news is just pumping bad news uh, into your your consciousness all the time. Yeah, I think being surrounded by the news, like you say, it's difficult not to have a negative outlook on the world, and then to bring that find those negative traits that you're always hearing about, say a country's done, and apply that to a brand. It's very it's very easily done. Very easily done. I guess I guess it. it as I say, it is maybe a pessimistic generation, but I think it's also interesting then if we flip that round to talk about, again, the consumer business and the research that we're doing, what would you say then is important to Gen Z in brands? Like, What, what do they look for and what, are, what should brands be doing to not sort of take advantage, but actually to be able to f- organically connect with these consumers? What, what, is, what is it that is most important? I think authenticity really resonates. Um, Like we mentioned earlier, uh, Gen Z are quite open about their mental health. So it can be quite easy for brands to use language like self-care, mood boosting, 
um, uplifting. But if there's nothing behind that and it's just using those words, Gen Z will see straight through that and realize that brand's just pandering to them. Whereas authenticity stays supporting a organization that supports young people's mental health, shows a bit more authenticity and uh, an attempt to relate and support Gen Z. So I can think of Rare Beauty, for example, donates part of their profits to support uh, young people's mental health. And it gives them a bit more credibility to use that language of uh, supporting and mental health in, in sort of marketing. I'd really agree with that. I think authenticity is a big thing for them and they are very, very marketing and media savvy. It's quite scary. Um, so if there's any kind of even the slightest crap between what a brand says and, and what they do, in my experience, they, they will spot that very, very quickly. And that fakery is the worst kind of way you could, you could uh, communicate with them. Yeah, definitely. Establishing sort of a clear voice um, and sort of having sort of a strong personality definitely seems to be a good way to, as you say, to authentically connect with a consumer. Although, again, even as you were sort of saying some of the, the like the words you were saying there, George, about like sort of self care, these sort of buzzwords, it's kind of like again, brands need to be careful as well, I guess, to not fall into that trap of just ticking off the buzzwords. They need to actually have that authentic message as well. I mean, is, would you say there's um, sort of any specific content then that would attract Gen Z? Is there is there a different way to approach this generation than potentially we did the millennials before, um, or, or is there is there a way that brands should play in this space? So I think brands have got to be quicker. You've got less time to get across your message and make an impact. And I think that's because of the media environment in which Gen Z have grown up in, where they are literally bombarded with with so much information at a stage when their brain's still developing. So research has shown that the average person will compute about 16 films worth of data uh, into the brain per day. And if you, if you, if that's what's happening when your brain's kind of developing, you, you have to develop some techniques to, to really kind of take on board information very, very quickly. And I think that's why they, the gens have really like short videos, um, you know, short videos on TikTok or, or YouTube. And, you know, it's got to be really engaging uh, and sticky. Otherwise it's, you know, you're gone, you know, you're, you're, you're into the ether. Yeah. I think being human as well. And like you say, being quick, I can think of so many examples of brands on social media who are using a meme format that was popular about two months ago. And you can tell they've had to go to a social media manager. They've had to go to a brand manager and be in meetings for two months to churn out one video that then is stale the minute it's released. So I think being exceptionally quick. Yeah, if I was a brand, I would be employing a Gen Z to do my um, my digital marketing um uh, you know they're, they're very they're very kind of business savvy so a lot of them would be um would you know be, be in the market would you would you say almost then that an indie brand is is much better place then to play in this market because you say they can just move a lot quicker in this then it's a lot easier for an indie brand or a smaller brand or a niche brand to target and market to gen z than it is for a bigger company and and if so what, is there anything that the bigger companies can do then beyond what you say, Johnny, about um, just sort of employing Gen Zs? 
I guess uh, for big companies, uh, yeah, it is difficult because they won't want to see as much control necessarily. Um, but uh, how I might approach it is, you, you know, investing in smaller companies that that don't have your brand name, for example, and then allowing them to to be employed by these kind of very entrepreneurial um, Gen Z executives who can, uh, you know, really, really make decisions very quickly and and, and know their audience. Um, and you can kind of get the benefits of that um, without any blowback. Well, I think we're, uh, thank you very much for, for your insights so far. I think we're sort of coming slowly to the end. Are there any sort of um, key takeaways that you, that either of you would sort of say then in terms of when you think about the research you're doing in obviously your specific categories, but also in general, would you say there's any sort of key takeaways that in the consumer goods industry brands should be, is there like a do's and don'ts list of what brands should and shouldn't be doing? I think do be authentic and do show a human side to the brand um, and then don't say you're doing something if you're not doing it because like we've said, Gen Z is extremely savvy generation and they'll be able to find out if you're doing something very quickly and call you out on it if you aren't. Yeah, I would say brands need to be careful that they don't sort of believe in, in a lot of the myths that are perpetuated about Gen Z and, and take a really careful look at you know their behaviours and, and their attitudes. Um, in terms of uh, of don't, I think don't don't rely on traditional media. Don't don't um, be be really slow in terms of uh, the, how you get your message across, or, or you know out of touch because I, I think I think very quickly you'll be found out. Thank you both so much um, for your insights in that. I think it, from from what both of you said today, my sort of takeaway from this as well, what I can summarize is that obviously, as with as with every generation before, but Gen Zs obviously have unique interests and behaviors and different expectations when they do shop. So I, I guess obviously the key message is about brands being authentic, um, knowing where they can play as well. I think being brave enough sometimes to realize that if you're not being authentic or if you don't have an authentic message, then not playing is also or not playing in that space is sometimes the best decision you can make rather than potentially making an error by being, by sort of forcing that involvement, I think. Um, so I think tailoring that shopping experience uh, and the product offerings to meet the needs and preferences of Gen Z becomes, uh, as you say, it's a, it's a do and don't. It's, it's knowing when and when not to play. Um, so I think it's going to be very interesting, I think, moving forward to see the different sort of or the various forms of sort of value and technology that enhances and makes shopping fun, as well as these ethical practices. I know, you, Georgia, you mentioned obviously sustainability earlier as well, being all the more important as well to better appeal to Gen Z. So it seems like it's a very nuanced demographic um, that there is still a lot to learn from, but I still think there's a lot of um, sort of key, simple takeaways that you've both sort of uh, mentioned today. So thank you both um, very much um, for your, your conversation today and certainly for your, your insights on this generation um, I know I could probably speak to both of you for, for a lot longer so thank you both thanks Andrew thank you and thank you very much uh, to everyone for listening as well uh, but the conversation doesn't end here uh, head over to Mintel's LinkedIn and our Instagram as well to let us know what you think uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts on Gen Z um, how potentially if your brand is currently marketing to them any sort of success stories or failures you've had please feel free to share feel free to share in a safe space uh, and sort of continue that conversation uh, if you want to know more about Mintel then please visit Mintel.com and sign up to become a member of the free Mintel Spotlight community uh, and also make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, but all that's left for me to say uh, is thank you very much for listening and have a great day. Bye.